Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Amen. And you know what? I love this church already. And I just got to meet, I've known Eric for quite a few years. I've got a few people in the room that I know, which is super cool and also a little intimidating. There's some great people in the room. Um, but I know that God's given me a word to share with you because um, that's what he does. He gives people words to say, uh, to share with other people in, in different places and things like that all the time. For me, I've been at the same church for 24 years and so I've been preaching from the same similar pulpit. I've been a youth pastor 11 of those years. I've been a senior pastor for like 13-ish plus. It's going on 14 years. So they have kept me around. I, to be honest, I don't necessarily know why half the time, uh, but there have been some amazing people, good people. Uh, I am um, married uh, 20 plus years. We just went on a marriage retreat, so that was super awesome. And I just got back, three and a half hour drive. So I did not preach this morning. So I'm like getting my preaching fix in today uh, at four o'clock. And on my way uh, over here, I asked my wife some questions because I was still wrestling with some of these type of questions that I want to wrestle with you today in Galatians chapter two. But the question, the first question I had asked her was I said, Allison, I said, is there ever a time, was there ever a time when you've told me something I'm supposed to do or something that I'm not supposed to do, and, that I, and I didn't do it, or that I did do it? Was there ever a time when I've messed up? Is there ever a time when I completely blew it? And she looked at me from the side of the, the truck as we're driving there, and of course, she said, no, Josh, you're perfect. You are just amazing. You are the guy that should be preaching tonight at 4 o'clock. You are the guy. Okay, now I'm going a little bit too far, right? You all picked up on it right away. None of us are perfect. All of us have made a mistake. All of us have made a promise at some point in time we're supposed to do something and haven't done it. Or sometime we've maybe said we weren't going to do something and we did. So as I asked that question to my wife, she said to me, she says, I can't. She's, first she goes, I don't know. I can't think of anything right now. This is, this is true. This part's true. I can't, can't think of anything right now. And then she goes, oh, I got it. I got it. And I'm going, oh, what is this going to be? She goes, can I just ask you one more time for the last time, don't do my laundry. Stop it. Please stop doing my laundry. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, well, why, why do you want me to stop doing your laundry? And she's like, Josh, she goes, I know you get in your cleaning mode when you just clean the house and you do all this stuff. I have a problem. I think I have OCD or something like that. I like things clean and organized. And I'm doing her laundry one day, and she goes, the reason that you can't do it is that you, you don't do it right. And then you put it in the dryer. You leave it in the washer. You put it in the dryer. It clumps up. Just stop it. Please don't do it anymore. I figured out there's a new principle that's super important for men, all of us to know. This principle is important. The principle is this. If you mess up one time, they'll never ask you to do it again. Guys, that was supposed to be a joke. 
If you mess up, they may never ask you to do it again. Some of you are shaking your head going, you've learned that principle. You know what I'm talking about. Good for you guys. Um, In our marriages, in our lives, we go through conflicts. We go through challenges. We have difficulties. Uh, And not just in our own marriage life or in our relationships with people close to us, our kids, our families, our our coworkers, uh, people in school, people out in the in the world of, you know, fitness world, people out doing whatever you're doing, there's always seems to be some type of conflict in people's lives. And we are not prone to be a, a, away from conflict. We are all prone to have conflict in our life. And no matter what we do, it seems to follow us even as Christians, even in churches, even within the body of believers who have Jesus Christ in their life, some reason, some reason we still struggle with the selfishness inside, we still struggle with having conflict with others, and we've never truly been able to figure it out until the point Jesus came to do something in us and through us. And at times we get, have good days and some days we have bad days. Today, I want to read a story in the Bible in Galatians chapter 2 where two very significant people, two significant people that God was using to speak his message and his word to churches all around got into a conflict. I don't know if you know this story very well or not, but if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 11. And in verse 11, it says, uh, the, the writer here is Paul. Okay, Paul was a, a, an amazing, um, you know, uh, preacher. He was an amazing person. He did amazing work for God, and he was writing this letter to the church um, uh, here in Galatia. And he's writing this letter, and he he says this. He says, "When, but when Peter came to Antioch, okay, this is he's talking about Peter. He says, when he came to Antioch, I had to op- oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong." So Paul is saying. Hey, we had a conflict here. I saw something that Peter did that I didn't like, and I decided I better challenge him. And as I did that, we had this little disagreement. We had this little conflict. So he says, uh, I did, what he did was very wrong. He said, when he first arrived, he decided to eat with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Interesting. He was afraid of the criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, the other believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. It's amazing to me the conflict that they have. Basically, what was going on there was Peter was kind of going, hey, I'm enjoying the fact that I can reach out and love people in the name of Jesus. I can go and eat with Gentiles, the people that were far away, those that did not know God, or those that that, that in some ways he was going to use to share with them the good news of God, to bring them to Jesus. And he was enjoying having conversations and eating with them, just like I think we're all supposed to do even today, to love the people who don't know God. And yet some reason... Peter decided to change. He decided to change because he didn't want the criticism. He decided to change change because his friend James was there. And when James showed up, he was kind of going, yeah, maybe we shouldn't do this. 
And in some ways, he wasn't just hanging on or doing the thing he thought was right from the beginning. He shifted and he changed because it seemed to be more popular or for him to do the right thing in the eyes of one, but maybe the wrong thing in the eyes of another. He was shifting his perspective on what was right and what was true. You see, this is this, this whole idea, this, the whole framework of this sermon series and the whole framework of, of this passage is going to talk about the idea of, of religion. It's going to talk about the idea of tradition. It's going to talk about the idea of the law. And we're going to be, as we continue to read, we're going to see that, that there's these, these religions and there's these traditions and there's these laws and all of these things were, were meant to be good and meant to be um, honoring to God and these things. But in some way, shape, or form, it creates division and people are enslaved to it. It creates hypocrisy. It creates this division within the church. We are all subject and we are all a part of this same type of thing happening within our world even today. That for whatever reason, religion and the law and traditions create tons of conflict and a lot of problems. And so when you look at um, the next verse, verse 14, it says, Paul says this. He says, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message... Now pause there just for one second. You see, they took what was good that God gave them, that Jesus was saying, this is the gospel, this is the good news, that you're free, you're free from the religion, you're free from these other laws and rules and rituals and things, and, you're, and you keep going back and forth, and you're confusing everybody, and you're, and you're basically saying, you gotta go back to, you know, Peter, you're, you're saying in some ways you gotta go back to the law, and I'm telling you, you don't. There's freedom in, 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 in Jesus, there's freedom in this new life. There's freedom in this hope that we have. There's freedom to just live out this good gospel, good news gospel message. And for some reason, he says to them, he says, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the, good, the gospel, I, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions. See, there's this, this, this whole conflict going on. There's this whole struggle of, of people trying to say, or do we do this or do we do that? See, that's the whole idea of religion. I gotta follow this religion. I gotta follow that religion. Jesus came to set us free from the religion so that we would know him. And here's what it says. As it keeps going here. This is amazing. Some of these verses get better and better as you go. It says, uh, verse 15, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right, yet we know together, both of us, the, the two people in conflict, we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. Okay, now, as I keep reading, I want you to just highlight or circle or underline anytime it says something about the law. Because I think in this passage, Paul is going to say eight times, eight times, something about the law. So as we continue to read, go ahead and underline that. And we, and he goes, and we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of the faith in Christ, not because 
we have obeyed the law. Number two, for, now, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right through God, or suppose, suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. So he's questioning these things, going, well, man, if I'm doing this, then what? Am I going to feel guilty if I abandon the law and I'm seeking to follow Christ and I abandon the law? Am I going to be guilty? He says, would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, a, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of the law that I already tore down. If I've come to know in faith in Christ, in G, Christ Jesus, if I've come to that place where I've given my life to Christ and there's this freedom in my life and then I go back and rebuild the old system of a law that was what condemned me in the first place and I continue to build it back up, I'm going to be condemned again. I'm rebuilding something that I tore down. I don't need to go back to the law. I am free from religion. I am free from those things. My wife and I were talking about this earlier on the way back from the, from the, from the, the trip. The one thing that we were talking about was I asked her a question. I said to her, as a great speaker was, was my good, one of my favorite speakers of all time, Greg Speck was the speaker. So Craig, Craig knows Greg really well. Um, and he was speaking, and he was talking about being a godly person. What does it look like in a way to be a godly person? I was convicted by that in my heart. Because as a pastor, I think, well, I'm a, I gotta be a, I'm a godly person, right? And then I started to ask my, my wife, I'm like, do you think I'm a godly person? Or do you think you're a godly person? The question is, is do you? Do you think you're a godly person? We build up systems all the time. We build up these ideas of religion, of churches. We build up these ideas of, of ideology and the things that we believe and know in our mind to the point where we start to believe that, that if we ascend to some level of greatness, if we ascend to some level of knowledge, if we ascend to some level of, of ex, experience, if we, have, if we have money and we have prestige, we have power, we, we ascend, we get to higher and higher and higher. Somehow we've rebuilt a system that's flawed. We are not godly because we are religious or because we work hard. We are godly because God put Jesus in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes us godly. It's not anything that I've done or that you've done or that we could ever do. I mean, that, that's why we're free from the religion of this stuff. That's why we're free from not needing to obey the law. Now, when we get to Jesus, as, as he preaches, and as he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, you may remember this, but he says an amazing scripture. He says, I came not to abolish the law of the prophets, but I came to fulfill its purpose. And then he starts to go through these, these, all these different, you know, you've heard it said, do this, or you've heard it said, don't do that. And I tell you this, he, he's, he's saying, I am, you, you heard the law say this, but I'm telling you it's this. You've heard the law say, don't look lustfully upon another woman. If you do, you've committed adultery. I tell you, you've committed adultery with her. It says, he says, if, if you are angry, he says, you've committed murder. So like he's going, the, the fulfillment of the law, it can't be done, it cannot be fulfilled without Jesus' blood and death and resurrection on the cross to change 
the desire within the human heart. I cannot obey the law for salvation. In the Bible, there are 16, 613 laws of the Old Testament. 613. And in the, in the 613, there's, um, you know, Jesus basically, or Moses gets 10 and says, these 10 are good, right? If you follow these 10, you basically follow these 613. But then Jesus does something else. What does he do? There's two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, if you follow these two laws, you fulfilled all of the laws of the Old Testament. But how do we love God? Now, here's the thing. Do you fulfill that law yourself? Do you, do you, can you even do that? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Love your neighbor as yourself? How many of us have had a problem with our neighbor? How many of us have had conflict with a neighbor, a struggle? But here's the good news. Jesus didn't just leave us there. We build up these religious things. We build up this works-based ideas of I want to become better and better and better so other people can see how good I am. And the reality is is it doesn't bring us anywhere closer to Christ and it doesn't make us godly. But good news is we don't have to do anything except accept what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And by accepting what he's done for us through faith, the Bible says that we, we received a spirit in us that is transforming us it's changing us. And it has the power to fulfill those two. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. As we continue to go on, it, it's just an amazing scripture. It says, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. As Eric asked me this week or you know, a couple weeks back or whatever it was when he asked me to preach, he said, preach on the idea that we are set free from religion, that we're set free from all of these things that so easily trip us up and get in the way. Religion can be a very beautiful thing, but just don't let religion become your works-based belief to get to God because that can't happen. You can't earn it. It's given. For it is by grace we've been saved through faith. This is not of ourselves; It is a gift of God so that no one can boast about it. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. If you go to the next verse here in Galatians, it says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is I that no longer lives, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could, be, could make us right with God, then, Christ, you know, then, then there was no need for Christ to die. I want to share with you a couple of quotes that I've, got, I've heard from a guy by the name of Jared Wilson, and I think these are inspiring and challenging quotes for you, and it talks just about the same concept of what Paul's talking about here. First quote says this, we are not transformed by our works or our willpower, but by gazing at Jesus. The message of the cross is not behave, it's behold. It's not about getting it right, doing it right, being right, religion, tradition, law, attitude. It's about gazing upon what Jesus has done on the cross. 
accepting him by faith and letting the Holy Spirit transform us. The next quote, and this one talks even a little bit more about religion. It says, if you were to win people to biblical principles, if we were a church that just won people to biblical principles that said, be really good at the disciplines of being a Christian or being, being religious, it says, but not to the biblical Christ. You would have simply created religious people with no power because all of us could perform. All of us can try really, really, really hard, but we need the spirit in us. See, you would have created well-behaved pagans. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to change us, to make us new. I want to share with you one story in closing. I don't even know how much time I have, but I'll just do one more story. Um, there's a story in the Bible. And as you guys were worshiping today, there's, there's times when I want to just cry out and just, I can't contain myself. I've got a lot of energy. I'm a high-strung kind of guy. And I, I just sometimes just want to, like, run up on stage, you know, when, when worship is going on. Because there's just this, I can't contain myself. It's just so good and so awesome. There was a time in the Bible when Jesus was not being able to contain himself. Difficult theological question. <laughs> in John chapter 7, it says that at the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles, about eight-day festival... It says that Jesus decided not to go, and he was staying back wherever he was. But at the seventh day, right up to about the, the climax of the, of the festival, he decides to show up and to go. And in the story, he, he basically gets to a certain spot, and he's there, and he's watching what's happening. And at the climax of the, of the festival of the Feast of Tabernacles, they pour out water from a vessel, and they pour out oil from a vessel on a sacrifice, an altar, and they pour it out, and they basically are, are symbolizing that God had provided everything that they needed for life in the wilderness back in the time of Moses. And so as they're pouring out the water, and as they're pouring out the oil, and all these different things, and they're celebrating, Jesus says, the Bible says, Jesus cannot contain himself. And he starts, he looks, and he points, he says, I am the living water. I am the living water. Springs from the, springs from the living water flow from within me. The springs of life flow, flow from within me. Like I am the one that can give you life. And I'm the one that can be a, a well or a cistern that can satisfy your hunger, your thirst. And he screams it out. And you know what the very next thing happens after Jesus makes that claim? The religious people do something significant. They start debating. The religious people start asking questions. The Pharisees got together and said, do we believe he's the Messiah or do we not believe he's the Messiah? And they basically came to a conclusion. They said, no, he's not. The very next story in John chapter 8 is the woman caught in adultery. And what do they do with the woman caught in adultery? They drag her out in front of everybody, and they, they put her in front of everybody, and they say, we, Law of Moses says stone her. What do you say, Jesus? Should we stone her or not? Should we let her go? They're trying to trap Jesus. They don't want him to be the Messiah. They, they wanted him to go away, and they said, you know what? If you say that stone her, you're going to obey the law of Moses, but if you say stone her, you're actually going to be condemned by the Romans. You can't give a death sentence. Either way, you're trapped. It says that Jesus goes down and he writes something in the sand and then, and then he stands up and all the religious people start saying, what should we do? And Jesus said, he that has no sin, cast the first stone. 
Now, I think most of us think at that moment, that's when everybody drops their rocks and walk away. But if you read closely to the scripture, it doesn't say that. It says he goes back into the dust and starts writing something else in the sand. What does he write? Everybody always asks that question, like, right? Like, and there's people that debate on this all the time, like, you know. Um, but what is he writing in the sand? And I can only imagine that there was a, there was a time like two weeks before or, or a month before when, when, the, when the, the people were quoting Jeremiah, the religious people were talking about Jeremiah, and they were, they were quoting scripture, and maybe this scripture was what Jesus was doing in the sand that brought those religious people to understand that he is the wellspring of life. He is the one that can satisfy their deep thirst. Because in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13, it says this, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust. Their names will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the spring, the source of living water. Can you imagine that? There's a story, there's a story of, a, of a cattleman who was out in Australia, and he had tons of acres. He had tons of land that, that basically the cattle would roam around, and, and there was tourists that would go over to Australia, and they would see, see the outback, and they love to see all this land, and there's just thousands and thousands and thousands of acres, and, and the, 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 the man who was the tourist said to the cattleman, he said, how do you keep all of the cattle boxed in like how do you keep them from not just wandering off and you know what he said he said we create strategic places where we put wells where they can get water and when they go and find the water they nourish themselves with the water and they never go too far away from the wells see there's an idea that we could put 613 fence posts all around with the law to say, don't wander too far away, we'd find our way out. But when we hang in there to the wellspring of life, we'll never go too far away. We'll focus on him. We'll be next to him. So Father God, I pray that as we heard this message, I pray that as this, the word was spoken, I pray that it was not that I used, that I had the ability to speak in any power of God, but I pray that the word that was spoken had power and that it changed and transforms people's lives. Thank you so much, God, for what you're doing. Help us find you as the wellspring of life, and that we don't need this religion. We, we love the connection that religion gives us, but we're free from it, and that we can have a relationship with you, and that we can drink freely from a connection with you, God, and that will satisfy our deep struggles and our deep hurts and our deep wounds and it'll correct some of the conflicts in our life as well father i just pray that you'd uh, bless these people today thank you so much in jesus name amen thank you so much for joining us on the mosaic maple grove podcast i want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul let jesus do the deep work that only he can do a special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. 
grace and peace, my friends.